Welcome to Crime on Caffeine. I'm your host, Erica. And I'm your host, Allison. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode. Today, we'd be sipping on the Blend Coffee Plus community. Um, for those of you who are local, like to my area, St. Pete, Tampa, I almost said Tarpon, which also is local, but like nobody knows what that is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is not the Blend coffee in St. Pete. It's a different blend. This one is located in Washington, Illinois. And, you know, your girlies just love different stuff. Your girlies also don't know where Washington, Illinois is. We sure don't, but the flavors of coffee that they had were just pulling us in. And Erica was like, this is it, bitch. And so that's this is where we're at. It's like near Peoria. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, good to know. Damn, Illinois is so big, but literally what is there outside of Chicago? That's crazy. I can't even imagine living at the bottom of this state. If anybody lives at the bottom of – it's so – no, Allison, like it's so far. I'm I'm trying to show you the map. I'm just shook. I can't can't see that. Um, I can't see anything. (laughs) You know that. So how dare you? Just rub that in my face. Um, also, how dare you? My family lives in Moline or like Coal Valley area, which is I that means nothing to me. I don't know where that is. <laughs> it's teeny tiny, like really teeny tiny. Chicago should be its own state. It is. It's just Chicago. <laughs> I feel like a lot of <laughs> I feel like a lot of people think that about um, like major cities. It's just like that is the state. Chicago is Illinois. What are you talking about? It's just so far from the rest of the state. Like, I'm just, I'm shocked right now. Okay, well, the blend's got that good, good. I'm not going to lie. That good, good. Guys, like, you know how many flavors Crazy Cups has? This is like that on steroids in person. You can go there and get all these flavors. We did not because it's a bit bit (laughs) far. But you can order online, so it's fine. Yeah, so I got the Mocha Java Blend, which obviously is a dark roast because I stick to what I know. But reading the description for you guys so you guys can have your mouths watering and taste it with me, it's a sweet tropical fruit mingled in a cup with hints of spice and floral tones. Mingled, I like that word. I know, their little description, just that's why I bought it. They. Whoever writes them, kudos to you because you just made a sale because of your description. (laughs) I'm drinking tiramisu because it just stood out to me because I love tiramisu. It's my favorite. And I don't think I've ever had tiramisu flavored coffee, but like how great does that sound? It sounds freaking fantastic. I can confirm it is great. (laughs) Can confirm tiramisu coffee is that bitch. But yeah, so if you're ever in Washington, Illinois, guys, or if you just want to try it like us, you can order it online at theblendcoffee.com or, you know, yeah, go to Washington, Illinois and like have yourself a good time. (laughs) I know. I feel like it would be a really fun place to go get coffee. Yeah. Okay. I do have something I want to talk about. I have not yet watched the documentary, the new Netflix documentary on Donald Klein, who was the fertility doctor who 
inseminated his patients with his own sperm and had 90 plus children and they all found out about it. It's called Our Father. Have not watched it yet. I need to watch it it's this not week. Out yet. It's not out yet. Why did I think it was already out? Oh, it's not out till May. Okay. It's not out till May. Damn. Okay. Oh my God. Really excited for this. If you guys want us to do an episode on this case, let us know. I kind of forgot it existed until I saw the trailer and I was like, this is so crazy. Absolutely bonkers. You know how many people have sent me that trailer? They're like, you gotta cover this. I know. So many people have sent it to me. I'm really excited to watch the documentary. It looks really good. It looks absolutely insane. Like I cannot, mm, nope, can't believe it. The minute it comes out, I don't care what time of day it is, I'm watching it because that is that case is something special. I think I'm coming home from Tampa that day, so I'll watch it that weekend. Perfect. Or you could stay and we'll watch <laughs> it together. I'll just stay forever. Yeah, I've got an extra room for you, Curly. But thank you guys for – thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for being here today, guys. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump day or whatever day you're listening to this, but we release on Mondays. Hope you guys all had a great holiday weekend, or if you're not religious in any aspect, we hope you had a great relaxing weekend. Hope you had some good weather. Hope you're ready to talk about, I don't even know what your case is. I don't even know what category this is, but I'm excited. You should be excited. And I did have a good weekend. I want everybody to know that I went fishing and I caught two sharks. Sharks? Two stingrays. Yeah. Oh my two gosh. Sharks, two stingrays and three catfish. So who I'm a Who are you? I don't know. I don't really know who I am right now. I'm fish girl. That's amazing. Shark, shark slayer. Um, shark slayer. Stingray sweetie of the world. Um, so yeah, I did have a good weekend and I wanted everybody to know that. Um, if you're listening to this episode, comment on our most recent Instagram and tell us what TV show you're watching right now. Ooh, that's a good one. And if you didn't comment, well if you didn't comment, we'll know that you didn't listen and we'll call all of you out. Yeah. So next week when we call all of you out. <laughs> Don't be sad. Individually, by name. We have a list of all of our listeners. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wish we did so we could thank them personally. Um, no, you were right, though. Today, you don't know what I'm talking about, but it's a good one. I am going to be talking about the I-5 killer, also oh. known as Randall Woodfield. Oh, Randall. Oh, Randy. We're getting a good highway here. killer. We love a good highway killer. We also I don't, don't know. Them. No, we don't love any of them, but I don't know if I really know this story. So I'm well, excited. Yes. Oh my God, I just saw a spoiler. Uh, stop looking things up when I tell you who I'm starting with. Sorry. Go for it. Just listen to me, lady. Born in Salem, Oregon on December 16, 1950, Randall came from a middle-class family with no signs of dysfunction. He grew up in the area of Otter Creek, where he lived with his parents and two older sisters. 
One of them went on to become a doctor and the other became an attorney. The Woodfield family was well-known and respected in this little picturesque Pacific Coast community. His father was a manager at the phone company and his mother was just a stay-at-home housewife. Randall's father pushed him into sports as a teenager. Uh, Apparently this worked out for him because on the outside, he was just a handsome and popular football star at Newport High School. He had wonderful grades and he played basketball and also ran track when he wasn't focusing on football, of course. It's so eerie to me when they grow up normal and like this guy sounds like not even normal, but just like, you know, star football player, like handsome guy, good grades. Like that's better than Mm -hmm. normal. So like, what the hell? Well, let me tell you. From an early age, he began to exhibit antisocial sexual behaviors, mostly in the form of indecent exposure. Yeah. We got a flasher on our hands. (laughs) Right? The first sign that there was something wrong with Randall was when he was caught at the age of 11 exposing himself to women. He also seemed to have a problem with anger. Even though his parents sent him to a therapist, no one really seemed to pick up on the seriousness of all of his problems. Or if they did, no one helped him with these problems. The flashing, as you said, continued. And before long, Randall started committing petty thefts and burglaries. Where, like, the indecent exposure at a young age, I'm like, where does that even come from? It- If it isn't learned, that's kind of wild to me, but it's also really sad that he didn't get any help. Yeah, 11 is very young for this kind of behavior, in my opinion. Yeah, agreed. Randall was first arrested for this in high school, actually. And of course, since he was an athlete and the coaches made, you know, things like that kind of disappear for big athletes, uh, His juvenile record was expunged when he turned 18, and this was kind of brushed under, and no one ever really heard about. Damn, they were even doing that back then. Mm Mm-hmm. Hello, Thor. Hello, Thor. Welcome to the episode. You you never know when Thor's here, though, because he doesn't make noise like Gus does. He doesn't make noise. He just pops up on camera, like, wanting to know everyone's business. He's like, holy shit, they did what? (laughs) I can't believe them. In August of 1970, now in college, attending Treasure Valley Community College in Ontario, Oregon, he was arrested again, this time for vandalizing an ex-girlfriend's apartment. The jury found him not guilty due to a lack of evidence, but this did cause him to transfer schools. Randall ended up at Portland State University, where he played for the Vikings as a wide receiver and, oddly enough, became a born-again Christian. He took religion very seriously, but it didn't seem to interfere with his need to expose himself to women still. His teammates would describe him as someone who didn't fit in with the rest of the players. One of the ex-Vikings teammates said he'd say out-of-the-blue and off-the-wall statements. So, obviously... Not only is Randall outside looking in, he's this fantastic football player. He's now a born-again Christian. But, you know, on the inside, people are starting to pick up on his oddities. 
his teammates even said he was kind of, he didn't really know where he fit in. He just was kind of becoming this strange man. His first adult arrest was just two short years later, and this was, again, for indecent exposure. And then again in June of 1973, which was only a year later, in Portland, he was charged with the same crime. Although he kept getting in trouble with the law, his football career seemed to still be flourishing, and by some form of a miracle, he was the 428th draft pick in the NFL going to the Green Bay Packers that year. You're joking. I am not joking. That's insane. How? That's like, actually how I found this case. No I was shit. looking up – it wasn't even for Crime on Caffeine. Like I was looking up things for fantasy football and like drafts, and I was literally being football girly. Girl, and it is uh, like April. You're I know, but the draft is coming preparing. up soon. So I was just learning about like who the Steelers are going to pick and like all that kind of stuff. But I was using my um, Chrome, which is logged into Crime on Caffeine. So I think it automatically thought I was looking for like serial killers. <laughs> um, and it just like popped up. I was like, what the hell is this? Uh, so yeah, this is how I found Randall Woodfield. The I-5 killer. so crazy, and it makes me so mad how long people have been able to just, like, get away with shit because they're well-off, privileged white men and athletes. And what? Like, I don't understand how once he started doing those crimes, he was able to even play football in college. I don't don't understand that. And then to go on to the NFL. He was arrested twice in college. Insane. For the same things. Although, unfortunately, he could not keep it in his pants, even with this amazing opportunity. And even though he was now in a new place in 1974, after a dozen flashing incidents and a lot of unwelcome attention that came along with his behavior, the Packers decided to release him during the preseason. So he did not stay in Green Bay very long. Good. Um, He did, however, stay in Wisconsin. He was picked up by a semi-pro team called the Manitowoc Chiefs, but he was let go at the end of the season. So he felt like a complete failure. He felt like a disgrace, which can cause someone with an ignored and untreated anger issue that clearly has, you know, always been seen as this handsome, talented, perfect football star. Uh, might cause them to go off the rails a little bit, if you know what I mean. Oh, boy. So in 1975, after being caught robbing multiple women at knife point and forcing them to perform oral sex, the police decided to stake out and try to get him into custody, and they finally caught him after he stole marked money from an undercover female officer. That is, um, I mean, it's... That's good that they're catching him right now, but I know there's more to the story. Oh, yes. So they arrested him on March 3rd. He was sentenced to 10 years at the Oregon State Prison, pleading guilty to second-degree robbery. While in custody, he told the police that he had sexual quote-unquote problems, impulse control problems, and an addiction to steroids. Randall was paroled after only four years. 
So didn't even serve half of his sentence. I'm not surprised. Also didn't realize he was doing steroids. That's only going to make his anger issues worse. Exactly. Um, A really amazing quote that I read from All Things Interesting said, quote, a serial sex offender was back on the streets by 1979, unreformed, unrepented, and still harboring a lust for control and power over women. Randall Woodfield was now free to resume his hobbies. Only this time, he upped the stakes. And boy, were they right. I feel like in every single parole hearing, like, I don't know who's involved in them. Um, a psychologist needs to be there in every single 100%. one. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think a lot of people would not be paroled if that was the case. But Randall was out and he was ready to escalate, as one might say. Randall Woodfield was released from prison just in time to attend his 10-year high school reunion. On October 9th, 1980, a former classmate of Randall's named Sherry Ayers was raped and murdered in Portland. This woman was bludgeoned in the head and stabbed repeatedly in the neck. Randall was questioned and refused to sit for a polygraph. Homicide detectives found that his answers were evasive and deceptive, but the DNA evidence proved Randall was not a match for the fluids found inside of the victim, so he couldn't be charged. But, spoiler alert, the Ayers family had always believed that Randall was responsible, and years later, after DNA technology was refined and Randall was convicted for the murders as a serial killer, the Portland Cold Cases squad reopened the file, and this time there was enough evidence to link him to the murder. A month after Sherry Ayers was murdered, on the morning of November 27th, which was actually Thanksgiving Day, Darcy Fix and Doug Altick were shot in their Portland home. They were killed execution style with a 32 revolver. Darcy knew Randall since she was involved with one of his closest friends, but there was no evidence to suggest that Randy was the killer. Shortly after the murders in 1981, a spree of rapes and murders began to occur along the stretch of Interstate 5, which runs through Oregon and Washington. The press coined the term I-5 Bandit or I-5 Killer after he held up a gas station in Vancouver wearing a fake beard. And then just four nights later in Eugene, he raided an ice cream parlor. Right after that, on December 14th, he robbed a drive-in restaurant in Albany. And then a week later in Seattle, the bandit, quote unquote, trapped a waitress in a restroom of a restaurant and sexually assaulted her. So minutes after this, he was said to be grinning underneath his fake beard and he raided another ice cream parlor and took off with just handfuls of cash. So Randall is off the wagon or the I-5 bandit, whatever you want to call him at this point. The first murders attributed to the I-5 killer were in Kaiser, Oregon in 1981 when Sherry Hull and Beth Wilmont were attacked. Sherry Hull was leaving her Sunday night shift cleaning the Transamerica office building in the central Oregon town of Kaiser. She was grabbed by a man, maybe six feet tall, brown hair and eyes, wearing jeans and a leather jacket. Sherry was in one hand and a gun was in the other hand, and he walked her down the hall. 
Soon, he saw another cleaner and grabbed her as well. This was Beth Wilmot. They were both sexually assaulted and shot. Sherry Hull died, but Beth Wilmot survived the attack despite two gunshot wounds to the head. Wait a second. Can you repeat that? She survived that? She survived two gunshots to the head. Anyone who survives a gunshot wound to the head was blessed by 10 billion angels and the probably the luckiest person in the world. Yeah. So she was the one who ended up calling the police. She waited, obviously, until he had left. He thought she was dead. And she, like, crawled over to the phone, called the police. And they got there really, really quickly. But the weird thing is that no one was to be found. No one was running. No one was in a car. Like, nobody was to be found. So that was something that I read that was really interesting. They said that only somebody who was a really good athlete could have ran that fast. Mm. And I was like, hmm, I know somebody who's a wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers that could have done it. Mm. I know. So the next murder was in Redding, California, where 37-year-old Donna Eckerd and her 14-year-old stepdaughter Janelle were. They were found in their own home together in bed. Each of them were shot several times in the head, and the child was sodomized. No. I know. That one was really heartbreaking. So just to confirm, there hasn't been like a sexual aspect to every single one of his murders, right? So there was a lot of there was a lot of theft. There was a lot of like burglary, but in the murders, there was there was sexual assault in all of them. Oh, in all of them there was? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I think the only ones that we've talked about that were not technically attributed to him at the time were Darcy and Doug, and it didn't say anything about there being any sexual aspect in that one. Okay. Two weeks later in Beaverton, Oregon, Julie Wrights was found shot to death in her home, It was discovered that she was actually one of Randall's ex-girlfriends. And this is what led the investigation to focus on him. But police obviously... Yeah, but police couldn't keep up with him. That's the frustrating part. This man, he lightning bolt. Beaverton Police Chief David Bishop talked about um, Randall's kind of pattern. He said, all of a sudden it became obvious it was a map of I-5. Woodfield was addicted to the phone. He made thousands of calls. He had, quote, girlfriends everywhere. So this is kind of how they started to track him. It's interesting because I was literally going to ask if he had any, like, relationships or any long-term things. But, I mean, sounds like he had a lot of them. Definitely not long-term. Just, like, a bunch of random, like, girlfriends who were just victims. Yeah. Exactly. There was a woman named Lisa Garcia who actually lived to give a description of the man who attacked her. There was also a few other women who could give a description as well. So he wasn't great at his job of murder. At his job. It sounds like he was, yeah, pretty disorganized. Very disorganized. So there was multiple women that were able to um, speak on behalf of who attacked them. They said that it was a white male, 25 to 30 years old, 6 foot, 175 pounds, brown hair, short beard and mustache, using a small 
nickel or chrome plated revolver, driving a 1974 champagne edition gold Volkswagen Beetle, which giving me such Bundy vibes. Wasn't it around the same time too? Everybody was driving a Beetle. Um, yeah. Yeah, like late 70s to 90s. One very interesting and almost glaring characteristic that she pointed out was that he wore what appeared to be a strip of athletic tape over the bridge of his nose in the manner that, you know, maybe a football player would wear at the time. So not only did Randall match the description perfectly, but he's really bad at making it not known that he's a fucking athlete. Oh, I think that's like the only thing that has ever been becoming of him, his talent as an athlete. These are things you need to hide right now. (laughs) Do better. Yes, but some following investigations turned up enough evidence that police were sure that they finally had caught the I-5 killer. Yes, so Randall Woodfield was finally apprehended on March 3rd, 1981 and was subsequently interrogated. Two days later, his apartment was thoroughly searched. Law enforcement discovered a 32 shell casing inside a racquetball bag, as well as a roll of tape that matched the tape found on some of the victims. On March 7th, so just four days later, right? Three, four, four. Just four days later, several victims picked him from a police lineup including Beth Wilmot, the young lady that was shot in the head multiple times that he thought he killed. Randall Woodfield was 30 years old at the time of his arrest. He was charged with sodomy, attempted kidnapping, robbery, attempted murder, and murder. He pleaded innocent on all charges. And in the end, he was suspected in as many as 18 murders total. He was charged and convicted with only two of those murders, and he is now serving a life sentence plus 157 years in Oregon State Prison. He is 71 now, and as of 2020, he is still alive. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize he was still alive. Mm Mm-hmm, just serving all the life sentences. Based on DNA evidence and advancing crime lab techniques, His body count has continued to grow through the years. As we said before, cold case detectives attribute about 18 murders to him, but um, there's many journalists and other detectives, for that matter, that believe he's responsible for as many as 44 deaths. This also doesn't include the string of more than 100 other crimes, plus like robberies, rapes, you know, all those ones that are also attributed to him. So 44 deaths and hundreds of other crimes later, it does make sense that not only is he serving life, he's also serving 157 years past that. So his ghost's going to be chilling in jail. He's going to be chilling in jail. His ghost's ghost going to be chilling in jail. Deserved. Deserved. The I-5 killer's victims were mostly from the same subset, so petite Caucasian women in their teens or 20s. Sometimes they had declined his sexual advances, which, you know, triggers the most menly of men. And the killings seem to be acts of retribution. So kind of like a hatred for women, especially ones that were denying him. 
Other times he didn't know his victims at all, but he had his way with them and then, you know, left. Something interesting that Randall said after pleading not guilty was, quote, no way. I'm really innocent of this terrible murder charge. He said that the real killer is a man named Larry Moore, but Randall also believes that he's an innocent victim of a legal conspiracy. He said, something about my case stinks of corruption by a resigned DA, a demoted lead detective, and a judge who retired soon after my case. So he's trying to convince the world that he's innocent and this is corruption. Like, brother. That's very interesting. (laughs) I mean, I totally see it after him just being like, you know, obviously, like, football was his identity and, like, getting caught from these teams and stuff. He's probably like, oh, the world is against me. I didn't think of that. But he crazy. He cray cray. So during his time in the penitentiary, Randall was married three times and divorced twice. Some letters he wrote from prison were sold online as a collection titled The Serial Killer Letters and published by the Charles Press. In one of these letters, he wrote to a journalist named Jennifer Furio. He wrote, (laughs) You only care to know why murderers strike out with anger or rage. How should I know? What (laughs) What a question, Jenny. Care to write more personally? Share a photo? Talk on the phone once. Your choice. No, not him Wait. hitting on her. Wait, this the signature. He literally writes, Chow, Randall Woodfield. I have no Chow. words. Talk oh, soon, my. babe. Chow, Chow Bella, Randall Woodfield. <laughs> okay, so I so I'm assuming the women that he married while he was in prison like believed him that he thought like he was being set up and whatnot because what the hell? How did he marry three people in there? Okay. I think this about a lot of people though. There are women who see serial killers and like fall in love with them. Some kind of switch flips in their brain and they fall in love. Remember, I I mean, I keep bringing up Ted. Sis, the bar is low, but like you're underground. That's what I'm saying. Why are so many people obsessed to a point that they'll just get up in there? Like, I'm in terms of pop culture, because you know, I like to tell you if any shows, films, or books came from these serial killers and stuff, uh, the I 5 killer did, in fact, have some. In 2011, Woodfield was the subject of a lifetime television film called. Hunt for the I-5 Killer. Uh, we love a Lifetime TV film. Love them. <laughs> love them. The, the drama of The them. drama. The film was based on the book The I-5 Killer by Anne Rule. And this one was so crazy to me. But on February 14th, 2021, Stephanie Hallman, subject of the reality series The Real Housewives of Dallas, revealed that her husband, Travis, had been babysat by Randall Woodfield when he was a child. That's wild. Did he have any stories? I don't know. I didn't watch the episode, but it just was mentioned in The Real Housewives of Dallas. So I just... Wow. What a story. 
But yeah, that is all I have for the I-5 killer Randall Woodfield. There is some psychology, however, that is very evident in this man's case, in his life. Um, As I stated really, really early on in this episode, the antisocial sexual behaviors that he had, multiple sources mentioned this. So I just wanted to go over, well, one, what the antisocial behavior is. Um, So antisocial behavior consists of 22 items that evaluate various under controlled behavior, including antisocial behavior, family conflict, and analyzes various past characteristics and tendencies such as risk-taking behaviors, juvenile delinquency, aggression, criminal behaviors, family problems, substance abuse, lying, cheating, stealing, and failure to conform to social norms. Um, So that's just kind of like a rough definition of what antisocial behavior is. He does fit in some of these characteristics. Oh, yeah. He was involved in the majority of those activities. (laughs) I was just about to say, majority of them actually do fit him. Uh, There's only a few that, like probably one or two that I'm like, eh, maybe not. But he very much so exhibits these behaviors. Compulsive sex behavior can be defined as an ongoing recurrent issue or episodic problem. Uh, Yeah, he definitely had a sexual behavior issue, like big time, starting at the age of 11, if that wasn't clear. (laughs) Some might say that Randall was categorized as a sex offender, a peeping Tom, a flasher, a pedophile, or a rapist. Um, you know, the list really does just go on. I think that he does closely fit a sexual murderer, um, which we've talked about plenty in the past. He clearly had a lack of empathy, uh, narcissism. There was no real indication throughout these cases, though, that shows that he had a long history of hostility towards women, um, but that he he did end up having one. I mean... There was clearly something deep-rooted that caused him to start his indecent exposure at a young age. They never found out what that was, what that trigger was. But this does lead me to a mental disorder called the exhibitionist disorder, which I found was attributed to Mr. Randall Woodfield. Oh, I've never heard of this. Yeah, so... Exhibitionism involves exposing your genitals to become sexually excited or having a strong desire to be observed by other people during sexual activities. Exhibitionistic disorders involve acting on exhibitionistic urges or fantasies or being distressed by or unable to function because of those urges and fantasies. So exhibitionism is a form of paraphilia. And they are usually males who have this disorder. They expose their genitals usually to unsuspecting strangers and become sexually excited when doing so. They may be aware of their need to surprise or shock or impress the unwilling observers. Uh, The victim is almost always a woman or a child of either sex. I just want to know how the hell this starts so early, like... I know. A diagnosis of exhibitionistic disorder can be made if the criteria are met according to the DSM-5. 
Over a period of at least six months, a person has recurrent and intense sexual arousing fantasies, behaviors, or urges that involve exposing the genitals to an unsuspecting person. The person has acted on these sexual urges with a non-consenting person or the urges or fantasies cause marked distress or interpersonal difficulty in the workplace or even in everyday social settings. So yeah, he did have that. (laughs) He was just exposing himself all over the place. They say some causes can be antisocial personality disorder or substance abuse. I find this interesting since, well, you know, one, we just spoke of antisexual behaviors as one of the things that has clearly been pointed out about his childhood that was not treated. And the other thing that I wanted to talk about was the substance abuse. If you picked up on it, we talked about how he told the police he had a steroid problem. Steroid use can cause anxiety, depression, paranoia, and psychosis in the in people who have a vulnerability to mental health problems. Drug use can lead to social and emotional problems and affect a person's relationship with family and friends. Not to mention earlier when Erica said that steroid use can also cause a lot of anger and rage. Everybody's called it roid rage, obviously. And he already had a lot of anger as a child that wasn't treated. So this definitely did not help him. Um, So, you know, due to that and his exhibitionist disorder and his antisocial sexual behaviors, he was who he was. (laughs) He was who he was. And that was the I-5 killer, guys. Short, sweet, to the point. Randall Woodfield was trucked up and he got the sentence he deserved. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. I was super excited that I found this case because I was trying to be sports girly. And now I know of something that I didn't know before. And I hope you guys all learned something from this. Yeah, that was insane. I love, love a good like, I saw like a TikTok and it was like, actors like you didn't know were charged with murder or something like I like when they're like high profile people that exactly crazy well I mean if we're gonna say high profile he can't really be considered high profile if he was the 428th (laughs) (laughs) so he 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 wasn't up there he was just and there was a quote from one of the players I remember it was hilarious it was like you kidding me how how was he drafted (laughs) I'm with you, sir. I'm with you. Um, But yeah, thank you guys so much again. And, you know, keep continuing to follow us on Instagram. As Erica said before, if you don't comment what TV show you've been watching on our latest post, then you're fake. And we'll know. And we'll know. And we'll hunt you down and we'll squash you like a bug. Anyway, I've had way too much coffee this morning. I feel like I'm going insane. Same. I don't think I've had enough, though. Thank you guys for joining us on what might be the most stressful day of my life. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, anyway, as I said, follow us, subscribe to us, hit the notification bells so that you get your notification in the morning and you're like, oh shit, it's Wednesday. The girls are back. The girls are back. The girls are back. But that's really all I have. So, you know. 
You guys have a wonderful day, wonderful week, and we'll catch you on the next one. We'll catch you on the next one. Thank you.